what tends to make you feel embarrassed. In fact, let me ask the question this way. Let's say we put you on the 50-yard line of the Rose Bowl. If you want to pick a different stadium, go ahead. But let's say we put you on the 50-yard line of the Rose Bowl. And in the stadium, and we'll say it's a non-pandemic time, so we don't have to worry about social distancing. In the stadium uh, are uh, people who matter to you. So for you, that might be your family, your friends, coworkers, teammates, uh, uh, classmates. For some of us, that might even be strangers. Maybe uh, what strangers thinks, think, think of us matters. So you're standing on the 50-yard line. What would it be that, if you were to do it, would make you feel embarrassed? Like if, they, uh, if you were required to do uh, some kind of interpretive dance in a leotard, would you feel embarrassed? Or, or how about if you had to read through a list of Bible names of towns and people and you had no idea how to pronounce them? Just go a step beyond feeling embarrassed. What would cause you to feel shame? Shame is, a, is different than embarrassment. Uh, embarrassment tends to be about feeling silly. Uh, shame adds a moral question to it, something that crosses a line. Uh, what would cause you to feel shame? Would you feel shame if you had to um, hear played out loud for everyone to uh, listen to that conversation you had with your spouse, you know, where your words belittled and, and hurt? Or, or may, maybe it was the way you talked to your children or to your parents. Um, maybe it, it's having to uh, list out all the things you saw online this past week or how you spent your money from the whole past year. Any of those things might cause you to feel a little shame. How about we'll take it one step beyond that. Things that we don't want to come to light at all for fear that people would reject us and reject us outright. What would make that list? When it comes to our faith, are there things we're embarrassed about? Are there things that we believe in Christianity uh, that we feel a little shame over? Or, or that we keep so buried because we don't want people to reject us? You know, there's this statement of Christian beliefs uh, known as the Apostles' Creed. It's been part of the church for centuries. In fact, it, it took a number of centuries to put it together, and it, it, it kind of came from the ground up of people saying, this is what the Bible teaches. And included in the Apostles' Creed are these words having to do with Christmas. I believe in Jesus Christ, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. How do you feel about those words? I believe. I believe. You know, in our world today, uh, belief has become a very personable thing. And so people can have their own truth. It's my truth. I believe my truth. And, and in fact, I become the source for my own belief because I'm the one who validates it. I'm, I'm the one who says this is true. That might bring down embarrassment and shame and maybe a concern for rejection because it's, we're choosing to own it. But that's a relatively new approach to belief. There's a much older approach, the classic approach. Uh, we have this word in the New Testament to believe and, you know, verses like, uh, um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him, it's the Greek word, 
pistuo. Pistuo uh, um, has this uh, triple meaning to it. It's this idea of I acknowledge. I acknowledge something to be true. Uh, I rely upon it. It's so true that I'm going to rely upon it. There's this idea of reliance. And then even a step beyond that, that I commit to it. There's a, a, a committal, a, a willful peace to it. I believe. In Hebrews 11, 1, it says, faith, which is, again, another translation for peace duo. I believe I have faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So in the classical sense, in the scripture sense, in the Bible sense of believing that the thing we believe in is so solid, so real, that the object of our belief is also the source of our belief. The object of our faith is also the source of our faith. We're responding to something that is solid and wonderful. Believing. Faith. We're taking a look at the story of Christmas, and we've entitled this Advent series, Share the Story. And that when we share the story, we share things. We share things like hope. We also share faith, for it's a story of faith. When we look at the story today, we're going to look at that part that uh, focuses a little bit on uh, Joseph and Mary. And the journey of faith that they had in response to what was taking place. The story of Joseph and Mary, God comes to them and speaks to them through an angel. So that the angel on behalf of God comes and speaks to Joseph and an angel comes and speaks to, to Mary. The angel came to Joseph because a lot was going to be required of him. An angel comes to speak to Mary because even more would be required of her. Something we can say about both of them is that they were both poor. We know that they were poor. Uh, when, they, uh, when Jesus finally came along and they went to the temple to uh, set him aside for God, and, uh, there's this thing where you can give a, a, a sacrifice. You're called to give one. And, and if you have means, then you would give a lamb and a turtle dove. But if you were poor, you could give two turtle doves. And that's exactly what Mary and Joseph did. So they were poor. They were also remote. They were living in Nazareth. This is not a big town. Maybe about 500 people lived there at the time. And it was off the beaten path. We could even say they were inconsequential. If, if it hadn't been for the angels coming to visit them, the angel that visited Joseph and the angel that visited Mary, uh, we may never have heard of them. We only know a few others from Nazareth at the time, and that's because they were part of the family of Mary and Joseph. But in terms of the rest of the people that live there, we know nothing. These are not people who made it into the history books. But the angel of God came and spoke to Joseph and spoke to Mary. So let's hear their stories. Uh, we'll first hear the story that focuses a little bit more on Joseph. And this comes to us from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Hear the word of God. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, 
resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So now let's turn to a portion of Luke's gospel. And this is the portion of the story, of the Christmas story, that uh, includes Mary. We'll be reading from Luke 1, verse 26 through 38. Hear the word of God. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the same and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel said uh, to her, answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. May God bless the reading of his word, and may God bless our conversation together as well. Embarrassment, shame, rejection. Given what the angel uh, was announcing to Joseph and what the angel was announcing to Mary, uh, we could make a case for embarrassment, shame, and rejection. But instead, what we find in the story is the response of faith, the response of belief. And so today, what we are going to do is just take a look at that response. And, and there are four different kinds of responses that we find here, responses of faith. And the first one is this. The first one for us to look at is uh, we find in Joseph and Mary having faith in God who works his ancient plans. Having faith in God who works his ancient plans. The language in the text, in both texts, both from Matthew and from Luke, it refers to Joseph, Joseph's son of David, Joseph of the house of David. Uh, this is language that the people of God would have known, that the, there's a promise being given through the line of David. In fact, we even find it in Luke um, 
uh, in Luke's telling in verse 33 and following, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. This is God working out his ancient plan in their midst. God doing old things. You know, when we take God's plans into consideration today, we know that uh, God long ago said to Abraham, I'll make you into a great nation. Uh, when we say yes to Jesus Christ, we're part of that great nation, that great family. Uh, and he said that, uh, God said to a Abraham that all the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth, all the peoples of the earth would be blessed through you. We're part of that mission, an ancient plan being worked out. We go through the stories of the Old Testament and find God at work and God laying out his plans and, and we could discern which parts of those plans continue in us today. When we get to the time of Jesus, Jesus actually describes some of what his followers were to expect in the coming years, in the coming generations, uh, in the years since his death and resurrection. And so we find for us in, in Matthew chapter um, uh, 24, this description in verses uh, 9 and following, 9 through 14, this is Jesus describing what to expect, some of God's ancient plan continuing to work out. It says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. That's Jesus' description of God's plan being worked out. It's, it's what we're to expect in the midst of this world. God having faith in a God who continues to work his ancient plan, and, and God's ancient plan takes this long time to be worked out. And, you know, when I was in college at UCLA, that there were these times when we would uh, show up for a class and, and the professor would be late. And so we'd all stand outside the classroom, whether it was a larger class or a small class. And, you know, at first everyone's just being patient and just wait, and then 10 minutes go by. And you begin to have that thinking, that thought that, okay, so how long do I have to stand here before I can leave and get credit for being here? Is it just 10 minutes? Can, am I free to go now? That, that if the professor showed up, he, she or he would understand that I, I get it, you, you waited as long as you could. Or should I wait to 15 minutes? Or is it 20 minutes? If I leave, what might happen if the professor shows up? Maybe we have that sense in our faith of, um, it's been a long time. And it's hard. And gosh, the, the church just doesn't seem to begin along with itself and, and people reject. And, and so let's remake God's plan in a way that's more comfortable for ourselves. Having faith in a God who works his ancient plans. So when we think about Jesus, when we think about the story, when we think about God working, 
What will we acknowledge? What will we rely on? What will we commit to? Joseph and Mary, they chose to have faith in a God who works ancient plans. They also uh, chose to have faith in God who works new things. Faith in God who works new things. You know, there's a, a challenge in the human experience to remain open to new things. Uh, many of you know that my wife is a speech therapist. Uh, Vicki also does feeding therapy, and um, among some of her feeding therapy clients are uh, these young children who, for one reason or another, maybe there was low muscle tone or there was uh, some uh, part of the swallowing mechanism that interfered with their ability to take in food. Now, the moms and dads didn't know what was going on inside the child. From, from outside the child, everything looked like it was fine, and, and so mom and dad continued to feed food to the child, and the child would experience this distress and um, swallowing and feel like they're going to choke. And so by the time Vicki gets involved, uh, there's already been this history for the child of fearing food. And so Vicki's job then becomes, how do I create this openness, this openness to new things and building that connection? Maybe to some degree the church has become a little bit like the child who's experienced distress. And we've become fearful of new things. And, and we just like our old patterns, our, our old ways. You know, when we think about Joseph and Mary, it would have been one thing if God had come to them and said, hey, I have a special uh, uh, birth story to work out in your midst. There was a a standard Old Testament way of working out the standard special um, uh, birth story. We know it's true for uh, Isaac. Uh, Abraham and Sarah, his parents, were old, and, and they hadn't had a child yet. And so God comes in and, and promises to give them a child. And, and uh, so God uses Abraham and Sarah together, and, and they have a child. It's the same for when uh, Isaac and Rebekah went to have Esau and Jacob. And we can even see it in the story when Jacob's wife, Rachel, and she desires to have a child and it doesn't happen right away. And finally, Joseph comes along. And even in the story contemporary with Mary and Joseph, the story about Elizabeth that we read in Luke's gospel, theirs was the standard special Old Testament birth story. Uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah were older and God was providing them a child. The husband and the wife together and a child would come into this world. But that's not the case in the situation with Joseph and Mary. It was different. They were engaged, but they, their marriage had not been consummated. Uh, they were betrothed, and they wouldn't uh, actually come together as husband and wife physically and until at least a year had gone by, maybe longer. Well, that time hadn't come to be yet. And the text tells us that Mary was found to be pregnant, found to be with child. And so the ancient way, the ancient way of righteousness was divorce. This was wrong. Something had happened here and, and, and something had been crossed. And so Joseph, who was a just man, a righteous man, was going to do the righteous thing, bring an end to this. And that's when the angel speaks to him introduces a new thing. 
a new thing that's going to take place in and through Mary. There's a new righteousness as God is working out his redemptive work, a, a thing that very much fits within the righteousness of God that Joseph needed to be open to, that Mary needed to be open to. So today, what new way is God desiring to work? I was uh, part of a, a Zoom experience this past week with a, a, a national pastor's covenant group that I'm a part of. Usually once a year, uh, if there's no pandemic, we fly to some town and spend some time together and pray for each other. And Well, we got on Zoom and, and uh, heard each other, just got an update. And one of the things that a number of the pastors shared was that a fruit of the pandemic, uh, uh, a small silver lining, was that some of their churches were actually uh, making a decision to invest in technology. Uh, some of these churches, would, which would never put up screens or envision televisions uh, in their sanctuaries uh, or cameras, uh, are making that step and making those purchases and being open to new things. It can be hard for churches we're used to old ways. We get comfortable with old ways. Well, isn't this the way God always worked? It was good enough for my grandparents. Why isn't it good enough today? What are we embarrassed about or ashamed of or fearful in rejection of? You know, if, if, if God is continuing to focus on his redemptive work in this world, might there be things that we would then hold loosely in order to prioritize God's redemptive plan, the God's plan to make his good news known in this world? It's the old wineskin story that old wineskins can't hold the new wine, that the old wineskins become brittle and the new wine has uh, uh, fermentation still taking place and there's uh, pressure involved and we like our old wineskins because we're used to them. But there are times when God does new things. Having faith in the God who does new things. A third thing we find in Joseph and Mary is having faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, uh, we read, For that which is conceived in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. For that which is conceived in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. In Luke's telling of the story, we, we find that after the angel explains what's going to happen, and, 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 and Mary says, uh, how will this be? And she's not complaining. She just knows her own situation. Here this, this, uh, this young, uh, young female, um, we know from history that probably in the ages of somewhere 12 to 14 years old, that she knows that she has not been with her husband, um, Joseph. How will this be? You're saying I'm going to give birth to a child, and how will this take place? And the angel responds, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That term, overshadow, that's an important word. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle, which was the, uh, a place where uh, uh, God's people would go to meet with God, that the high priest would go in, and, and, and whenever God's presence was there, the, there was a cloud that would overshadow the tabernacle. In the telling of uh, uh, the transfiguration of Jesus in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in all three versions, 
uh, as Jesus is being transfigured and Moses and Elijah are there, um, Jesus had invited Peter, James, and John to also be present. But it, it tells that, that there was a cloud that overshadowed them. So here the angel is saying, listen, the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and the, the, that the Most High, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is Joseph and Mary. These are relative nobodies. People that, that the world was passing by and not even acknowledging. And here, the God of all the universe is saying, I'm going to do something remarkable through you, through the power of my Holy Spirit. The power of the Spirit. You know, you might say, but doesn't the text say that Mary was the favored one? Doesn't it, it lift her up? And if you look at the language and the grammar and the way that it's spelled out there, it's um, this acknowledgement by the angel is really because God is favoring Mary. Not because Mary had some kind of special resume behind her, but God was saying, listen, I'm going to favor you. It's God's favor, his grace coming upon. She's not the mother of grace. She's the daughter of grace, as one commentator put it. That's a pretty big movement that the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon her. You know, in our world today, we spend so much of our time building our resumes. Building our resumes. We, um, you know, the whole process of let's get good grades in school and and while we know the college entrance exam, they tend to look for these things. Let's make sure we do those things so we can add it to our, our college entrance exam. And of course, we want to go to a good college because a good college will mean a good job. And of course, we want to have a good job because, well, we just want to put better things in our drawers and in our garages and have better homes to put stuff in. And, and so we build these resumes but in God's kingdom, Jesus talked about the, the ideal kind of resume. That, that in God's kingdom, there, there is this list of stuff that, that seems to rise to the top, that, that matters in God's eyes. And so we can look at it for ourselves. It's in uh, Matthew chapter 5, in verses 3 through 10. It's at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. It goes like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So in God's economy... The meek, uh, the pure in heart, the poor, the, uh, the merciful, the peacemakers, um, the people who tend to be called losers in this world, uh, people who uh, don't have that drive, that aren't those thoroughbreds, that they tend to be set aside in this world. But in God's kingdom, in God's economy, those are the folks that the Holy Spirit works through. Jesus said before he ascended to be with the Father, he told this motley group of disciples. He said, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses 
in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God's plan was to work through his Holy Spirit, to use the power of his Holy Spirit, that this motley crew of disciples would start a movement in this world that would change human lives. That's a big movement. So for us to know that what kind of faith do we have? Having that faith in a God who empowers through his Holy Spirit. Uh, Some years ago, there was a, uh, a big discussion as to what do people look for when they buy a car. And before um, it became standard that every car would have 15 cup holders, people were basing their decision on car making by which one had the best cup holders. Well, now it's infotainment systems. Uh, People already expect every car is going to have all these cup holders, but now how many screens does a car have? And, And do I have access to Android Auto? And what else on the electronic, the technology side, does it provide? There's not much of a question about um, the engine or the transmission. That doesn't seem to figure into too many people's decision about the vehicle. And maybe that's a description of sometimes how we approach our faith. That we like some of the other things. Uh, do they play, do they use old hymns in that church? Uh, will they keep my program going? I, I like my program. When the angel came to Joseph and Mary, the angel declared, the Holy Spirit's going to work in your life and work through you. When we think about embarrassed or shamed or being rejected, and we think about the Holy Spirit of God equipping us for transformational ministry in this world, do we have faith? Do we acknowledge? Do we depend upon? Do do we commit ourselves to it? Well, the fourth thing that we find in the response of Joseph and Mary is this, having faith in the name of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, we read, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And in Luke's gospel, we read, And behold, you will conceive, Mary, in your womb, and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And you will name him Jesus. What's in a name? Dale Brunner in his commentary on uh, Matthew does a great job of this. Uh, so in Greek, the language of the New Testament, uh, the, uh, the way you write Jesus is Jesus. But it's an a, 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 a interpretation of the Hebrew name Yeshua, which was a very common name, uh, what we would translate as Joshua. Uh, Yeshua, when we look at how it's, uh, um, how it's then uh, uh, a set of Hebrew words that we would read Yehoshua, which when translated, we would translate as Yahweh is the one who saves. Or as Bruner then puts it in just a couple of words, it's God saves. This is Jesus. Yeshua, Yehoshua, Yahweh, the one who saves, God saves. Jesus, Jesus, who's fully God, 
yes, born as a, as a human, yes, but fully God, fully human, fully God, and Jesus saves. The God who saves. The God who brings salvation into this world. That's the name that was given to them. Acts 4.12 puts it this way, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. So what name have we put our faith in? What name have we come to acknowledge and to rely upon and to commit ourselves to? For Mary and Joseph, there was the risk of embarrassment, uh, being ashamed in front of their family and friends, of being rejected. But God had a different plan. And they placed their faith in God. Today, we have an opportunity to have faith in a God who works his ancient plans, to have faith in a God who works new things, to have faith in the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, to have faith in the name of Jesus Christ, the name that saves, the person who saves. Not to be embarrassed, not to feel ashamed of him, not to hide our faith so that nobody would reject us. Would you consider sharing this story this week? Share the story with yourself. Share the story in your home. Give somebody a call. Zoom with somebody. Write somebody a letter. Share it with your coworkers. Share it with your teammates, your friends, your neighbors. Share the story. And when we do, we share faith. May God bless you.